0: It's the 15th of July and World Youth Skills Day. In 2014, the United Nations General Assembly declared declared the 15th of July as World Youth Skills Day to celebrate the strategic importance of equipping young people with skills for employment, decent work and entrepreneurship. Since then, World Youth Skills Day events have provided a unique opportunity for dialogue between young people, technical and vocational education and training institutions, firms, employers and workers' organizations, policymakers, and development partners. Participants have highlighted the ever increasing significance of skills as the world is embarking on a transition towards a sustainable model of development. World Youth Skills Day 2021 will pay tribute to the resilience and creativity of youth through the crisis. Participants will take stock of how TVET systems have adapted to the pandemic and recession, think of how those systems can participate in the recovery. And imagine priorities they should adopt for a post COVID world.
1: And it gives me great pleasure to introduce our guest for the day, which is Mr. Seth Mluli. He's is a trailblazer, mentor, change maker, and Seth has a decade of experience in the youth development space. His area of expertise is in capacitating organizations to create meaningful change in the communities that they serve. Seth is the host of the Mentorship Challenge, which is broadcast on ENCA. The Mentorship Challenge works to entrench a culture of mentorship in a skills-scarce, leaderless South Africa. He is also the Executive Director of the Youth Breach Trust, which is a grant-making body in partnership with the Ford Foundation. This aims to create collaborative opportunities for young people on the African continent. Seth is also the lead anchor of the entrepreneurial centric good breakfast show where he engages with South African change makers. And Seth believes that businesses that don't pay it forward will be left behind. And he tells us he's not afraid of our questions because he's a seasoned interviewee. Welcome, Seth. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Thank you so much, Luke. Thank you, Karen. It's an honor and a, privilege to be on the show.
1: Right Seth just to begin um, I I have two questions which lead into each other. The first is that nobody ends up doing the work that you do by accident so a bit about your journey to doing youth empowerment work and then what is that work specifically?
2: Sure I'll I'll take you a decade back. Mm. I had just matriculated um, and my dream was to play basketball in the national basketball association so that was the goal that i was going towards and um, i got a partial scholarship to go and study in the u.s and um lo and behold a couple of months later i didn't get the visa that was required and uh, i kind of felt like my world had come to an end because this is the goal that i had been working towards my entire schooling career then one day uh two of my friends invited me to a local um, program that they're working towards in in the township community of Mamalodi. And the program was helping at-risk youth access education opportunities, because in that community, only 0.05% of the young people ever went from high school into university. And so there was a huge disparity. So I joined this volunteer program because um, I was trying to figure out what was I, I going to do with my life and I just fell in love with the aims of the initiative. It was called the Mamalodi Initiative. It was U.S. funded and um, it was a volunteer program where youth from the United States from Ivy League schools such as Harvard, Princeton, Yale would come together during um, our kind of winter holiday with university students from University of Pretoria, UJ, WITS and um, they would work towards Assisting these young people in maths, English, science skill and science skills and extramural activities, and I just fell in love. I started as a volunteer, and um, I always say this, but it was in losing myself in the service of others that I found my purpose. And my purpose was really to help young people fulfil their full potential, and that's been the theme of my life. I rose up the ranks at that organisation all the way from just a volunteer to become the executive director for two and a half years. And um, it was an amazing opportunity where we saw close to 2,000 young people go through our programs in computer literacy, entrepreneurship training, after-school training, leadership development. Um, and 70% of young people who went through that program found university placement. So I think that love for ins- assisting Underprivileged youth realize their full potential has always been a the theme of my life, and then that led me to being uh, called up on to to lead the Youth Bridge Trust, an innovative grant-making entity that provides financial resources to youth development organizations across Africa. Currently, we serve in South Africa and Namibia, and um, outside of funding entities, we build their capacity, which is another passion of mine. And so, yeah, that's that's currently. What I've been up to, but um, the journey has been amazing. But I think the theme has always been to ensure that young people fulfill their full potential. All right. And I mean,
1: I've been involved in youth development for sort of like 30 years odd. And, you know,
0: you're we- a little bit older than Seth. I must just tell you, Luke. Just a bit,
1: just huh? A bit older. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 kind of in the, the elderly range now because I'm I'm allowed to be vaccinated apparently. So that, that gives you gives my age away a little bit. But lucky you. <laughs> lucky me, you're quite right. So the the thing that I seem to struggle with is that we see an enormous amount of potential. So I work in the inner city of Joburg and I see an incredible amount of potential in young people and I mean that, mm-hmm. that could be academic potential for those who are more academic inclined, it could be vocational um, for those who are more technically inclined, but what what I'm seeing, and I, it's really I'm just asking your opinion, because it's something I'm really grappling with is it seems that there are some fundamental skills other than things like entrepreneurship and computers and maths and you know the STEM things and the ability to be able to be a mechanic or whatever, it's the, the fundamental skills of life that our young people seem to really struggle with. I'm talking about things like punctuality, the ability to arrive um, in a certain way, in other words, dressed appropriately, to present themselves in a way that is appropriate to the context, to communicate effectively within that context. So th- there's all this potential that is, is somehow almost Im- impeded in the experience mm. I'm having by the fact that there's a set of baseline skills of being kind of, in fact, in any job you would have, you would need a baseline set of skills. We, you know, I don't like the word soft skills because I don't believe they're soft. I believe they, you know, they're essential skills. But what is your experience around those kinds of skills and the complexities that those bring to the development of young people's potential or the lack thereof?
2: Sure, I think we have to take um, take a step back and understand the realities that some of these young people face. Uh, growing up in single um, well single home households, or sometimes they are the parents of their siblings, and so the equipping of these young people with, like you mentioned, soft skills, or I call them future of work skills, because We, every young person needs them to acquire some form of employment outside of the technical skills. So I think we have to look at the fact that a lot of these young people, um, their economic standing, but also their social economic standing is not the same as a traditional young person who's grown up in a healthy home where there's a father and mother. So I think I think we have to take in cognizant as youth development specialists that a lot of these young people also go through trauma. Um, and I think there needs to be a holistic approach to development of young people in first understanding that there's some trauma that they've been through and we need to give them social cycle support to assist them in kind of going through that trauma. One of the programs that we, we fund um, in sh- before they get these workplace readiness skills and technical skills is a full two and a half weeks that helps these young people go through some form of social cycle support such that you know when we place them in a place of employment that um, they don't take some of the emotional baggage into that place of employment. Now, if we look at the soft skills or future of work skills, I think it's essential to understand that one, development programs need to look at holistic view of equipping young people and then helping young people, it's almost like coaching. And I like the fact that, uh, that Karen mentioned that you're a coach and young people see you as that. I think it's it's coaching. Young people don't understand that they need to, you know, dress in a formal attire and um, when participating in some form of a job application or just being punctual. They don't, they'd have no cognizance of that. So I think it's a lot of coaching that is required in developing the young person in their totality and helping them understand that, you know, it, for you to function in this way, in this in this way of work and in a professional manner, requires some professional etiquette, of some sort. So I, I think as development specialists and those that are in the development space, we need to look at a holistic approach of equipping young people beyond the traditional technical skills and work readiness skills training, but more around professional, etiquette, etiquette training and social cycle support to ensure that we develop the young person holistically such that um, we don't set them up for failure. I think a lot of the time in programs that I've been part of, it's almost like, let's just give them the skills, let's equip them. Um, yet there's some fundamental skills that they haven't acquired such that we can give them the skills, they can get employed, but um, they might not, like you mentioned, show up punctually to their place of work and then they lose their job so i think it's helping them understand that for them to achieve a goal there's some prerequisites almost like any racer or athlete there's some prerequisites that that they need to accomplish before they can start the race so i think it's to ensure that they start at the right place and um yeah holistic of to, you to the development of the young person
1: Look, I think that's that's fantastic, and it sounds very much like you're adopting, you know, there's new these new buzzwords all the time, but you're adopting very much like a trauma-informed approach to young people's development and recognizing that, you know, those environments that young people come from, they in- inhibit certain abilities that they have, and it's not due to a lack of will, it's just, as you're saying, due to an exposure to adversity in childhood. Absolutely. So then I I have one. Again, I'm just curious about your mind. So that's the reason I'm asking this question. The thing that I find curious is if I take the young, we call them ambassadors. So we've got a youth council and within that youth council, we call them like the council of 12, almost like the disciples. And within that, we've got seven of those who are ambassadors of various things. And The interesting thing is it's it's curious to me as to what makes the difference between the young people who do rise to the occasion we've interviewed in, in this month's series, we've interviewed one of our youth mentors, who's always on time, communicates effectively, you know, studying criminology and psychology at university. You know, he's an asylum seeker, came from massive adversity. But he has resisted all of that, and I mean, his behavior is almost a protest against what people would see as the average sort of outcome of a young person who comes out of those circumstances in Hillbrow. So he's not making excuses or he's not expecting concessions for the fact that he comes from a difficult background, he's working harder. That against the alternative to that, which is also young people within our youth council, not ambassadors, but young people within our youth council, who we almost get a sense that they they feel entitled to something because of the fact that they have had a difficult background and don't, as a result, kind of resist the, um, the difficulties they face. And they actually lose multiple opportunities due to the fact that they think that because they come from a difficult background, they are going to be almost um, compensated for when actually the world, as you know, is, is the opposite. I mean, if you put heel on your CV, it's not going to give you an advantage in the work world. So, Seth, what do you think makes the difference between those who rise and those who mm. struggle to rise?
2: Thanks. I think that's a profound question that uh, we can spend the next six hours unpacking. But I just think, in in my experience, the you've mentioned something really important around entitlement, and I think we can't fault the young people for for that. And I and I say this because I've had to deal with young people who come through some of the programs that I used to be a part of always feeling entitled and, and I would always query that entitlement mentality but I also think it's the societal structure that some of these young people have been born into um, and, and if we can hone in on maybe South Africa as an example um, in terms of just the way social development is facilitated in our country and and that feeling of entitlement came from historical um, issues that, you know, South Africa went through where people of the land felt that the government, um, people were entitled to services that the government provided, which is very understandable. I think that's the role of government to provide a service to to its people. But I I think in terms of inequalities that this country faces, I think that has been um, amplified. And so I don't query the young person. That has a mindset around entitlement because that young person was born into society that essentially awards that um, that feeling of entitlement. And there, you know, we could go into many different things with, within the structures of corporate and um, uh, how, obviously, because of apartheid, we are trying to ensure that there's equal access. So uh, I think one, we cannot fault the young person. Two, I think there's a role of educa- education. Um, and so in some of the programs that we went, that we provided, I was working in a township community of Mamalodi. We decided that every young person who applied to the program needed to pay some sort of fee. Because I think a lot of the time, even as development practitioners, we are a problem to to this issue of Uh, entitlement because we come into a community and we give them a free service um, without because, yes, we understand that they're in in an economic challenge and so uh, we don't want to overexert them. But what we decided to do was for every young person who went through the program, they needed to pay some sort of fee, whether it was five rand, the minimum was like two rand, and then the highest that they could go was maybe like 20 rand because we wanted them to have a skin in the game to show that they were committed to the cause, committed to their own development. And I think the difference between young people that we've worked with, those that were entitled and those that were high academic achievers, had some form of personal responsibilities, uh, personal responsibility really equated to the fact of how, how much are they willing to bring to the table when it comes to their own development. And so I think there's an aspect of us as practitioners educating young people around what entitlement is, where it comes from in the context of a society. I'm Kenyan, so I I think our country has never struggled with the feeling of entitlement only recently has it become become an issue. But I think I think for me the the difference between the go-getters and those that are entitled is that the go-getters are willing to put something in, um, knowing that, you know, if if I put in the effort is a reward at the end, while those that have this entitlement mentality kind of see the development. So if we're looking at the organization I was sitting at, they felt like we needed to do everything for them. We needed to buy them the equipment, the books. We needed to show up every week on time, yet they didn't want to. So there needs to be some form of, Exchange from the young person, whether it's their time, committing to um, being there on time. And we, we then, because a lot of young people would never come on time. So we instituted a punishment so that we could teach them uh, consequences of arriving late. So if you arrived late, you were not permitted into the program because we wanted to slowly help them understand that punctuality is rewarded and um, it gives you access to things. So I think in developing programs we we need to look at um our own our own preconceived notions of entitlement and how we can challenge the young person to think differently i'll give you an example there's a young person who i've mentored for the last 10 years he, he came into the program sense of entitlement and um i've seen his trajectory grow because we kind of gave him goals you know if he came on time or If he um, uh, excelled in in his academics, there was some form of reward for him putting some skin in the game. So I I think the difference between those two individuals is one we really need to in mentoring and coaching young people is to help them understand that they have a role to play. And if they play their role, that there is some form of reward at the end for their hard work. Yeah, so I don't know if I've answered it answered it correctly, but I'm just sharing on my own experience with dealing with young people that um, I I could not fault them. I started by faulting them, and then I need to I needed to understand the community that they were in, the society that they were born into, and the structures within the government that facilitated this feeling of entitlement.
1: You have been extremely eloquent.
0: Seth, um, you spoke earlier when when you were um, explaining why you do the work that you do. And Luke and I often say um, the work that we do with the youth, we don't choose it. I think it very much chooses us. And I think um, that's something I've really learned. In terms of the volunteers that came from the U.S., from the Ivy League schools that you mentioned, and social cohesion. So I knew about social cohesion. I knew what it was. But I don't think I truly understood it. Until I volunteered at Luke's program and my children volunteered and that is when I actually really experienced social cohesion and the massive, massive shift that it has. We speak You spoke earlier about entitlement and it's also something that a lot of very um, resource children um, are, are experiencing or, or they think they're very, very entitled. What was your experience with the volunteers that came into Mamelodi from not only the U.S., but, the you know, UJ, you spoke about WITS and um, the University of Pretoria. What shift took place, not only for, for the volunteers who came in, but for the young people that they were engaging with?
2: Yeah, um, great question. I think I'll start off with myself. I went to a Model C school. Um, I grew up in a middle-class society. My parents Really took care of my siblings and I, and so I was shocked that this inequality existed. Mamelodi was maybe twenty-five minutes, uh, twenty-five minute drive from the middle-class area that I lived in Pretoria, and when I got into Mamalodi, I was shocked, and I am, I am twenty-five minutes away. So I think for me, the the inequality really hit home because I looked at young people who were similar in age to me, maybe two to three years below me. And we grew up in the same country, yet I experienced more opportunities than they did. And we were, the distance between us was 25 minutes. Um, and then when it came to U.S. volunteers coming through, I think they were also in complete shock, but they also came in with a savior mentality as as most people come into any volunteer program feeling like they're going to save the kids. When in actual fact, at the end of the programs, we all felt like the kids saved us. Mm. They they highlighted to us areas where we took things for granted that, you know, they had never experienced. And so I think, I think that's what made, I mean, the program is, the organization is still carrying on today and still bringing volunteers from all over South Africa and the US and now different countries. And I think there is a, there's this beautiful opportunity that exists when people of different cultures, ethnic groups and nationalities come together for one common goal. I think there is a bond like, like none other. Some of the volunteers that I volunteered with, we're still friends today, very good friends. And it, it all started you know, in this volunteer practice. Um, So I I think, yeah, I think the kids saved us. A lot of us um, were saved by the kids rather than us trying to save the kids. And I think it also assisted the young people who were trying to help these kids, the volunteers themselves, have a sense of urgency in terms of this inequality they had seen in this community. And it gave them, I know a lot of young people, a lot of volunteers who went through that program changed their academic Um, the degrees that they were studying and moved more into social impact roles because they saw a need and they wanted to be part of the solution, whether it be in a political environment, whether it be in um, NGO practice. I mean, for myself, I was going in a different direction and now I'm in the um, NGO development space as a leader. So I I think for us, it was for a lot of people, it was an awakening of, of purpose. And I also think For the young people, young people themselves, who uh, the 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 students we were trying to equip, they almost saw uh, part of their future that they could become a lawyer, they could become an accountant, because they were interacting with students that were on that path. So I think it it kind of encouraged them to want to pursue their studies more, and they all got like some form of mentorship from you know whenever you go into programs of this nature, there's always a young person that you connect with, and you build a relationship with. So they found almost like a mentor, someone who would kind of coach them and walk them through the, the process. And I think a lot of them, especially for University of Pretoria students and VIT students, the reality of some of those students that they took through this program, they have now seen them on campus. And some of them have cried when they saw them like walking on the streets of their campus and understanding the journey that they took to get there. So I think it really built a community, a community of practice, a community of impact, uh, and I think it just all made us really courageous in our various spheres of influence to want to contribute to the development of of young people in in South Africa and for some of us on the continent.
0: So I I think it was... I beg Mm. your pardon, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. I really like it an an awakening of purpose. And I think on Youth um, Skills Development Day, I think we all need to have an awakening of purpose. And in closing, I think if we can all just maybe give time. So we spoke Mm. about time in terms of being late, but I think time in terms of engaging and being present with our own children and with children who we can really benefit so much from understanding not to go in as a savior but in fact we are w- the ones that that are going to be saved Luke would you like to just close us off?
1: I would just like to say thanks very much Seth you're a very very inspirational young man and it's wonderful to see young men in this particular kind of this this field and environment because very often it's you know not you know us who are men in these developmental worlds are often quite rare creatures so it's it's wonderful that there's young men there, and it's it's very nice to speak to a young man who shares a common purpose. So thank you very much for your insights. You have uh, been phenomenal, and I wish you every success in your work, and hope that we can work together going forward.
2: Absolutely, thank you so much. It's been an absolute honour and a privilege.